From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today, we're discussing genetic abnormalities with the Director of Medical Genetics at Upstate, Dr. Robert LaBelle. He's a professor with appointments in medicine, obstetrics and gynecology, pathology, and ethics. And today, he's agreed to talk about disorders caused by genetic abnormalities. Thanks for being here, Dr. LaBelle. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Well, let's start with what counts as a genetic abnormality. Um, there's, there's a range, right? There is a range. Uh, some genetic abnormalities have to do with the presence or absence of an entire chromosome, others with a portion of a chromosome. Others have to do with a single gene that's undergone some kind of a change, and that might be uh, at the deepest molecular level of just the change of a single base pair. Um, and all of those count as genetic problems. So is chromosomal disorder, is that the same thing as a genetic abnormality? or Well, it's a subset it's a of subset. genetic okay. abnormality. So the most common chromosome disorder is the presence of a third chromosome number 21, and that's the underlying cause for the clinical condition called Down syndrome. How do you counsel a woman who learns she's carrying a baby with Down syndrome? How, what do you say to her? What, what are the sort of the questions that, that patients like this would have for you? Well, most of the time the concern is, is the prognosis for the development of the child uh, with the condition. Um, some people have a very hard time uh, holding on to any kind of hope for something that they would call normal uh, if their child is going to be born with Down syndrome. Other families who've had experience with people with Down syndrome sometimes feel more optimistic about that. So their personal experience is key to their perspective. Uh, I don't think I or anyone else sitting across the table from them can or should try to influence how they think and feel about the issue at hand. Um, So my goal always is to make sure they're as informed as possible about the biology of the problem, about the statistics in terms of development Uh, So, for example, if Down syndrome is the question at hand, half of children with Down syndrome have a significant heart defect and half do not. So the half with the significant heart defect often can be identified by ultrasound examination during the pregnancy. And so if that is going to be an element in the decision process, it can usually be addressed and, and answered. Wow. Well, with scientific advances, there seems to be uh, a growing list of genetic disorders. If you look, you know, online for a list. So which ones remain of most concern for uh, obstetricians and pediatricians? Which ones are most prevalent? Well, obstetricians actually have a list of genetic conditions that they're expected to think about when they are taking care of a pregnant woman. And some of them they think about by testing the pregnancy uh, itself. Others they think about by testing the woman. So for example, um, all obstetricians are expected to offer a woman a blood test to see if she's a carrier for cystic fibrosis. If she is a carrier for cystic fibrosis, then her partner should be tested to see if he's a carrier. And if they both are carriers, then there's a 25% risk that the pregnancy would be affected by cystic fibrosis, and then they would offer testing of the pregnancy to see yes or no whether it Mm. is. Okay. 
And then there's others. Um, oh yeah, there's for, a whole list. I uh, mean, okay. there, there there are blood tests, for example, to show whether this particular pregnancy has a higher risk for Down syndrome than is expected based on the mother's age. The risk for Down syndrome increases as women get older, starting at age 19, and continues getting higher as long as women are capable of of being pregnant. Uh, it never reaches 100%. I think the maximum at age 49 is 15%, if I remember correctly. Mm. But the blood test would tell a person whose risk, say, based on age, is half a percent, that her risk in this pregnancy is 3%, say. And that's higher, but still it's most likely not present in the pregnancy. Then they're offered a test that's definitive to find out yes or no whether that's present. Oh, okay, I see. Well, are all genetic abnormalities, can they all be discovered um, during pregnancy? No, in fact, most cannot. Uh, on that ever-lengthening list, there are innumerable things, hundreds of things, that are not really on the radar of the obstetrician's world because they're just so rare that they're not going to be thought about and talked about. Things like cystic fibrosis, sickle cell disease, Down syndrome, and, and some others that occur in, say, one out of 1,000 or one out of 2,000 or one out of 5,000 pregnancies are considered common enough to be thought about. Huh. So, uh, well, it seems like, I mean, you can't reassure a woman that everything's fine with their pregnancy if, if there's a good chance that you're not going to be able to screen for certain things, right? Well, if the things are rare, then they all of them together add up to maybe 3%. So it's, it's all in how one approaches numbers. Uh, everyone should understand that if they undertake a pregnancy, the risk of it not going well is not zero. It okay. can never be zero. Some people have higher risks than others, and sometimes we can assign numbers to those and say this percent or that percent. But 15% of pregnancies miscarry right off the bat, right? Um, you know, right. before you ever before you even... get into the second trimester. So that's a big number, uh, you know, 15%. And then about 3% are going to lead to the birth of a child with a developmental disability of some type. About 5% are going to lead to the birth of a child with some, some structural problem, some malformation, some part of the body that's not built the way it's supposed to be. So those are just basic numbers that have to do with being human, have nothing okay. to do with the mother's age or ethnic background. It's just random, the fact of random being human. Random things that happen. Wow. Yeah. So at birth, um, how do you become aware of a genetic abnormality at, at birth? Well, some of them are easy because they announce themselves right away at birth. A child is born, say, with a large uh, defect in the heart and a cleft palate and... So, so that's the, obvious. The, at the delivery room, if it hasn't already been seen prenatally, which sometimes it has, but, but if nobody picked it up by prenatal ultrasound, certainly the doctor at the delivery room is going to see that and then have to think about whether these are just accidents of development or have an underlying genetic cause. Okay. And are there some that, um, you know, the baby goes home and, and it's not until months or years later that something becomes apparent? Yes. So uh, I met a young woman once who had graduated college with uh, honors, and uh, her life was all just great. She was in an accident. 
uh, had a loss of consciousness, so they did a CAT scan of her brain to make sure she wasn't bleeding, and she woke up and was fine. And the CAT scan of the brain discovered a major abnormality in the structure of her brain, which had not affected her at all wow. in terms of learning or function or anything else. She was just a healthy woman in her 20s who had this very different structure. Uh, and somebody, if somebody had seen that structure at birth, they would have worried deeply that she was going to have developmental disabilities, <laughs> and they would have worried for nothing. Wow, interesting. Well, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Robert LaBelle. He's a professor with a number of appointments um, here at Upstate Pediatrics, Medicine, Obstetrics and Gynecology, Pathology and Ethics, and he's Medical Director of Medical Genetics at Upstate. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about um, the predictions of which child will be born with a genetic abnormality. Is there a difference between um, abnormalities that are inherited and those that are spontaneous? Well, yes, uh, a big difference. So uh, uh, a classic inherited abnormality would be something that my great-grandfather had, and he passed it to my grandfather, who gave it to my mother, who gave it to me, and I've given it to one of my daughters and one of my sons, uh, and it's just moving through the family. Obviously, if it's going through five generations, it's not totally disabling, but it, but it might yet be an, an abnormality. Okay. Uh, so that would be hereditary in the classic sense. That's but, when we hear someone say that it runs in my family. Exactly. That's what they're talking yes, about. Yes, okay. right. And, and sometimes it's something trivial like the, uh, a big French-Canadian nose or, or a peculiarly shaped earlobe or okay. something. And then people make jokes about it and say, oh, all the Joneses have it. Okay. But in fact, only half of the Joneses have it because <laughs> it's a 50-50 chance with each pregnancy. So sometimes it's genetic, yes, but trivial, not, okay. not actually a health problem. Uh, obviously, if, of course, if it's really a health problem, then that makes it more important. Sure. But it might still be consistent with good general health and normal lifespan and normal intelligence and still be a hereditary genetic problem. Um, but the spontaneous part of your question is important because all of us undergo changes in our genes all the time. Uh, it's actually not surprising if you stop to think about the numbers. We have three billion components of genetic information in each cell. We have to make a perfect copy of all three billion pieces of information every time a cell divides. And in your chair, there are a hundred trillion copies of that information that your parents deposited in you when you were conceived. A hundred trillion. On top of that, you lose a hundred billion cells every day just by being here, and you have to replace them. So you have to make a hundred billion copies of three billion things every day. You can't possibly not be making mistakes. And so some of those mistakes end up being mutations in a cell, and then all the cells that descend from that cell are going to have that mutation. So that's how brand new genetic problems appear in families that never heard of them before because genes undergo changes and mutations which people think of as rare right aren't you do think of them as rare but the numbers you just gave me it, it's amazing there's not more right yeah well wow. there's a whole family of genes whose job it is to correct the errors okay all right 
Well, um, let me ask you this. If there's a certain disorder that runs in your family, can is there anything that would-be parents can do ahead of time um, to circumvent so that that doesn't show up in the child they want to create? There are two basic strategies. One has been around for about 40 years, and that is testing a pregnancy to see if the problem has been passed into the pregnancy and then making a decision as to whether to continue the pregnancy or not. Okay. Obviously, that can be highly fraught. It's very complicated and difficult choices, and it has everything to do with the burden that's perceived by the family, the burden of that condition. If the burden is considered light, then they're highly unlikely to terminate a pregnancy over it. If the burden is considered insurmountable, they might consider such a, a course of action, even though the idea might not come very easily to them. More recent years, about 20 years now, we've been able to do something called pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. Fertilization occurs in a dish in a laboratory, and there are several embryos in each in its own dish, and when they get to the eight cell stage, one cell is removed, and it's tested for the thing of interest, mm -hmm. whatever that thing of interest is. And then the decision is made, after they know which of the embryos has inherited the thing of interest, which embryo or embryos to put into the uterus to, to go to implant in the uterus and to develop into a pregnancy. This pre-implantation genetic diagnosis is complicated, expensive, hard to do, but it's real. It's there. It's an option. It, um, is it uh, successful often? or It's almost always completely oh, successful, okay. uh, provided the implantation is successful. But that goes back to how many implantations are successful in an IVF setting, and that's never even close to 100%. I have to mention, though, that it always depends on knowing the precise genetic change that's in question. I was going to ask you um, if we're going to get to a point where genetic disorders can be fixed ahead of time, but it sounds like we're sort of on the cusp in, in some instances, if you know specifically what you're looking for, but are we going to get to a point where we can say, I, I don't want to have any genetic disorders, let's just take care of all of them beforehand? Or? No, that will never be possible. Okay. Uh, I've seen plenty of families over the years where we focused our attention on one genetic problem in the family that was known to be in the family and focused all our attention there and ended up blindsided by a, another different genetic problem that we hadn't anticipated the family was facing. Now, well, what about in terms of treatment or cures for genetic, with disorders that have a genetic basis? This is a very attractive and exciting idea that has hardly any practical utility because if you say, have four dishes in the laboratory with four embryos. Two of them have inherited the thing of interest and concern, and two have not. You can put the two that have not inherited it into the uterus and have a set of twins that are free of the disorder. Or you can take the now 16 or 32 cell embryos that have inherited it and try to make it go away, which is a daunting task. Even at the 64 cell level, getting all 64 cells to, to fix their problem uh, is astonishingly hard to do. Why would we devote that kind of effort with uncertain outcomes to embryos that 
can be set aside in favor of embryos that are sitting in the other dishes and are perfectly fine with respect to the thing of interest. <laughs> Keeping right. in mind, thousands of other genes are there and there may be something else going on with them. Well, good point. My guest has been genetics expert, Dr. Robert LaBelle. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.